City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. All Hornets listeners, very exciting announcement before the start of this podcast. The All Hornets Podcast has been nominated for Best Team Podcast by the Sports Podcast Awards. These are the kind of premier sporting podcast awards in the industry, and we are one of only two independents against 12 other team podcasts from across a range of sports in different countries. Um, We absolutely need your help because it's a public vote. Um, So please support us if you enjoy listening to the show. We, you know, some of these podcasts have massive leadership, uh, listenerships. So if you listen to this, we need every single one of you to help vote for us. And Chase is going to tell you exactly how you can do that right now. So listeners, you are the reason that we are here and we are able to be eligible for awards like this. And you are going to the reason why we win an award like this. You go to sportspodcastgroup.com slash sports underscore category. You find the best team podcast category. You're going to register on that website, sign up for an account because you have to be logged in to vote. And then you're going to vote for All Hornets Podcast Network, the bottom left of the two columns there. I mean, we're up against Talking Giants from John Boy Media, probably the most popular New York Giants podcast on the market. A couple of podcasts from The Athletic, uh, CLNS Media about the Boston Celtics. There's so many big networks that we're up against here. And it's just me and James and a couple other people at, at Sports Illustrated running the show here. So. We to, to us, this is a great achievement already, but if you guys are able to boost us up here, get us this victory, it would mean the world to me and James. Thank you all for listening, and if you go vote, thank you again. Thank you even more. So we appreciate you all. Welcome to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. I'm host James Pyrite. Joining me, as he does every week, is Chase Whitney and Chase the Hornets, it's the end of March, and the Hornets are streaking. Three-game win streak going into tonight's game against Chicago. Um, it's probably been the funnest week of the Hornets season, even though it's at the end of a very a very poor year. But uh, but Chase, how have you been doing and how have you been enjoying uh, Hornets basketball over the last week? I have been having a blast watching our bugs over the last week. Uh, they briefly had the best defense in the NBA post-All-Star yep. break. Uh, Nikias Duncan of Basketball News wrote a great article on that for anybody that would like to go revisit the uh, probably like two or three day stretch where the Hornets had the best defense in the league uh, post-All-Star break. But even now, they're still in the top four. Uh, been a really good team all around over the last two weeks. Uh, it's been a ton of fun to watch. Played spoiler for the Mavs and the Thunder. Uh, and they've got a chance to do it again here in the last you know, probably, what, 10 days of the season we have left when we're recording this right now? Well, I watched the OKC game the next morning because it was a late start for me. And I was waiting in A&E to get my hand x-rayed for my broken finger. And I have to say, watching the Hornets playing that game against OKC really helped cheer me. I felt like a proud dad. Like, I was like, JT, (laughs) like, I knew you could do it, you know? (laughs) Like... Kai Jones to double double. You've been working so hard for that. It was uh, it was great to see. Um, probably one of the funnest games of the year, just with like all sorts of different guys uh, contributing. And uh, yeah, for for it's just so strange, right? That we're now at like this is the part of the season probably where a lot of fans have turned off. Yeah, actually, it's probably been the most enjoyable time to watch so far. So 
it's been it's been a fun last week. Um, today we're doing mailbag episode, um, and we are covering everything: free agency, players, coaching, draft. Um, we have questions submitted through Facebook, questions you submit submitted through Twitter. Um, so thank you for everybody who submitted questions. We've got 10 to 15 questions. We're, we're just going to go and see how long we go here and, and see how much we can hit. But thank you very much for everyone asked the questions. And um, yeah, I hope you guys you will enjoy the episode. So Chase, do you want to get started? Absolutely. Uh, the first question we've got on the docket today is from Cron Baker. Who are the Hornets looking at in the draft? Uh, currently, the Hornets are locked into the fourth draft uh, or fourth best or fourth worst draft odds, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, they're you know, a hefty seven or six and a half games behind Portland in fifth, six and a half games ahead of the Spurs in third as well. So, I mean, we've kind of known this for a while, but the Hornets are going to go into lottery. Ooh, almost knocked over my mic right there. <laughs> so that was a good save for anybody that can see that on video. But uh, either way, the Hornets are going to go into lottery night with the fourth best draft odds. So we're going to assume that they'll be picking around fourth for this exercise. Uh, we're not going to, you know, bank on Victor Wembanyama, and we're not going to bring any bad juju by looks, well, looking at all the prospects that'll be available for eighth either. Well, so the way I looked at this question is, well, the Hornets have a 98% chance to pick in the top seven. Okay, so let's just... Can I write that in a pencil that unless they are very unlucky, they're probably going to be the top seven. And I actually think, I, I didn't realize this before we did the exercise, I think there's a clear seven prospects they're probably looking at. And um, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. And, I, and I've split mine into three groupings for bigs, wings and guards. But I think, there are, I think they're going to have one of these seven players. I just think it's almost, you can book that in now, no matter if they go up to one. Or if they fall down to six, I feel like one of these seven players are going to be a Charlotte Hornet next year, which is weird to say with so much certainty. But I'm I'm really feeling that way. So I'm going to list my seven here, and I want to see what you say. So for bigs, I've got Victor Wembanyama and Jarris Walker. For wings, I've got Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore. And for guards, i got Scoot Henderson and Osar and Amen Thompson. Do you have any argument over someone who should be in that group of seven who isn't or someone who isn't there who you don't think should be uh, that is my exact group of players that i had written down one of them is going to be a Charlotte hornet like, yeah like, that's much. weird to think right now just one of those guys is going to be a hornet that, like i would bet what what odds are you getting on that like you probably i i think you're probably getting minus odds i didn't even think you're getting plus odds right now if you to say like oh, that them not. versus the field no yeah no i mean all of those but that's i the Obviously not in the order you said them, but those yeah. are the top seven players on my draft board currently. The The next closest players I would think to the, that tier would be maybe Anthony Black, Nick Smith, Keontae George, Grady Dick, uh, so, somebody like that. But if the Hornets, even if they fall to eighth, the likelihood that they can maybe snag somebody in those seven players that we first mentioned is still there. Uh, but I, I would be pretty shocked if they don't end up with one of the Thompson twins, uh, obviously Scoop Henderson or Victor Weminyama. And then you got Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker as the the three best, you know, college NCAA prospects yeah. from this. So year. I will say they aren't my top seven, right? I have Anthony Black is my seventh guy and have uh, Cam Whitmore lower down, which we'll, we're going to get into all of our draft stuff when we launch a, the draft podcast. We'll get into this in much more detail. Uh, but I, I, I'm aware that I'm probably like, 
you know, the general consensus in the league is that Cam Whitmore is a better prospect than Anthony Black. I, th I think at this stage, we're still early in the process, a lot can change. But if you just wanted to do like, you want to do a little bit of draft research, you want to figure out who are the Hornets going to end up with, those are the seven players to watch. You could not watch anyone else and you could probably be in a pretty good place going into draft night, but looking at that first lottery pick that they've got. So in terms of the, the question from, from Cron Baker, who are the Hornets looking in the draft? Those seven guys. And uh, I think for both of us, Victor Wembanyama is a clear number one. Um, I, I think you still have Scoot Henderson number two. Is that right? I know I've got Brandon yep. Miller number two. Yep. So we're flip-flop there. Um, I think we, we have just our two and three the, the wrong way around. And then we've got the next group of guys in, in some form of order. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Anthony Black or Nick Smith Jr. or Keontae George are probably going to be working their way into that group, especially with the position they play because they're all guards, right? And, you know, it's, it's not it's not like you're, you know, the, you're the uh, I don't know, the Houston Rockets here in desperate need for a point guard. Like the, the Charlotte Hornets have some guard play. Um, it's They're not desperately looking for a certain position, so they're not going to reach for someone. So I think, yeah, I think those are the, that's the group of seven guys. Uh, anything else? Do uh, you want to touch on any of those guys in particular, or should we move on to the next question? I don't think so. Let's roll. keep it rolling. All right. Next up, Michael Seriente. If the Hornets got Wemby, what would that mean for the other front court players? Chase, what do you think that would mean if the Hornets were to look into Victor Wembanyama, get their 14% chance, whatever it is? Um, how do you see that impacting the rest of the roster? Honestly, I'm not sure if it means anything for the you know, long-term future of anybody on the roster. I think it would more be just adding somebody to the core rather than, you know, replacing another person that's currently here. Nick Richards just got his contract extension. Mark Williams is obviously not somebody that the Hornets are going to be looking to move on from. Uh, and everything that uh, we've seen from this year, all the signs point to that the fact that they want to re-sign P.J. Washington or at least are going to make a very strong effort to do so uh, this summer here. So I think if – and theoretically, you could start Victor Weminyama alongside Mark Williams and just have your front court rotation pretty much yes, set for the long-term future in having Wemby and PJ as your four and then Mark and Nick as your pure fives. You could go, quote-unquote, small by, by putting Wemby at the five as, as he's seven you, four. We have to rename small ball. If that's what going small right. is, then we have to come up with a new name. Yeah, right. It's just like skill ball, I guess. But, I mean, that is basically what you could do. And then you could go really small with PJ at the five still. There's just so much you could do with that. I don't necessarily think you'd have to take anybody out of the group that's there currently. Obviously, that would be not great for JT Thor or Kai Jones and their long-term prospects at being in the rotation uh, when the team is fully healthy. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know of any Hornets fan that's going to complain if uh, it's Victor Weminyama taking up the minutes there. Absolutely. And I, I think you touched on, I think this original question, actually, I think I changed the wording. I think the original question is how it affect the other centers on the roster. And the reason I changed the wording of the question is because I didn't think Victor Weminyama is going to play center in year one. Which, not right away, definitely which, not. Which I think for a lot of people will think that's ridiculous because he's a great shot blocker and he's seven for three. I get it. But he's not a good defensive rebounder. He doesn't play with a lot of physicality. Like, like does a lot of his stuff like away from the basket mid-range. Like he's better at helping from the weak side than necessarily guarding on ball. Um, you know, he's going to be moving to the NBA style system 
where like you always see NBA new bigs to the league with like communication issues, especially when it's not your first language and you're having to learn an offense and a defense. And when you're the center, you've got to call everything out. You're the, you're the heart of the defense. And on top of that, you play him at center, he's going to get foul trouble straight up. Like he's just going to, while he adjusts, I do think he will probably be a center long-term, but it really wouldn't surprise me if it's like the Evan Mobley type where like you start him at the four, in the first few years he's in the league. So that's why like, I really think he probably would start next to someone like Mark Williams because he can stretch the floor. He can handle the ball. Um, you don't lose any skill by starting Victor there. So that's, I really think actually it would impact the power forward group almost more. Um, and in some ways that could kind of like knock down to if Miles Bridges are back, well, then you've got Victor Wembenyama and PJ Washington at the four. Well, then maybe Miles Bridges plays more three. And then maybe that's where it starts to impact guys like Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre. So I, I don't think it's just as simple as like moving guys to center. Uh, and, you know, Kai Jones will be, you know, everyone will look at Kai Jones as the obvious casualty because he's third choice. Let's be honest right now. I can center behind Nick and Mark, but I don't think it will be as straightforward as that at all. I think they, yeah, I think it could have be a lot more intrinsically linked for all the forward spots and the center spots altogether. Kind, kind of like what you said. Yeah, I mean, I, it would honestly be remind me a lot of like what Boston has been doing in the last couple of years where their bigs can kind of just play the five or the four. They both just play next to each other. Mm. Both of them are good rim protectors. Both of them would be good rebounders, offensive players, floor space. Like that is similar to what the Hornets would have if they had that mix of front court players. So, you know, we can, we, we can definitely keep our fingers crossed uh, for the next month and a half or so. Yeah, it'd be a great problem to have, wouldn't it, right? I mean, would be fantastic. Oof, I don't think would. anyone would complain about it. No. And uh, I did. this is one of the reasons I didn't enjoy the mailbag is because it started getting me. This is like the first time I actually sat down and thought about, well, how would Victor fit in Charlotte? Because like I've been stopping my brain from going there because, you know, it's just not a healthy place to always kind of daydream like that. Um, and you can get lost <laughs> in there, right? So, uh, but this, this, I had to do it. And I have to say, I... It was a, yeah, I enjoyed thinking about the problem. All right. You want to move on to the next one? Let's go. All right. We got a two for one here from Kevin Stone. The first question uh, of the four upcoming free agents, who do you think is on the roster next year? (sighs) See, this is tricky because I think to answer this now, you could give a very different answer to the draft because the draft just affects so much, right? If you draft Wembenyama, Scooter, Brandon Miller, I think that affects all different guys who are free agents. Um, so I, we can we can answer this now, but I know what, I just want Kevin to know like this is very changeable depending what happens draft night. But if you were to ask me right now, I think I had when he said the four free agents, I've included Sfima Kyluk, Dennis Smith Jr., Kelly Oubre, and PJ Washington. Just to check, did you include the same four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was me as well. Yeah. So I have the most likely to not be here next year would be Svi Mikhail Luke, who, by the way, shout out Svi, because we were like on the live trade deadline stream, we were like, is Svi actually going to stay in Charlotte? Will he end up getting waived or bought out? And he hasn't just stayed in Charlotte. He's actually got playing time. And he's looked like a perfectly respectable NBA rotation player. Like he had was it eight or nine assists the other night? He shot the ball really well from three. Um, he's 
actually like, you know, if the Hornets had a free roster spot and they needed a wing now, I'd be all up for bringing Spee back. He, he seems to kind of fit into the Clifford system and Clifford trusts him, which is not always easy for Cliff to trust, trust people. We know this. Yeah, I mean, he, for me, would obviously be the most uh, uh, unlikely player to be back next year. But I completely agree that he went from being – I mean, I, if you ask most fans which player they would have rather kept right after the trade deadline between him and Reggie Jackson, who the two guys that the Hornets technically acquired, I think pretty much everybody would have said Reggie Jackson and just yeah. kind of rode that out through the rest of his contract year and, you know, had another backup guard to play along with Dennis Smith, especially now that we know Lamella wasn't healthy, but – Svi has been awesome. So there's really nothing that you can say that he's done wrong to like, you know, that he hasn't earned necessarily to be the most unlikely player to come back. But I just think that that's the, how the roster roster crunch crunch is going to go. Absolutely. I I will say, I think he's probably earned himself another NBA contract. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Which at the end of this year, before he got to Charlotte, I don't know if he was probably like looking at Euroleague teams, you know, uh, but now I think people would look at the stretch and go, yeah, we could do a lot worse than Svee. So we both had Svee fourth. Um, I then had Dennis Smith Jr. next at number three, which might come to shock to some people. Who did you have at three? I also had Dennis Smith Jr., okay. unfortunately. Again, yeah. another guy who hasn't really earned his position <laughs> on this list, but it's, it's bizarre how it's the, unfortunate. The, the team can have been so unsuccessful this year, but like, one of the best stories is the third least likely guy to be back on the team for both of us. But it's the Hornets in a weird position where they've been really unsuccessful, but also you don't feel like the team's going to change that much. It's which I think sometimes we is like we need to step back as like analysts when we're looking at this and think like, actually, is it realistic that they're going to bring like 14 out of 15 guys back from this roster that's finished with whatever 20 something wings? But yeah, I mean, we both have Dennis Smith. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's just the the limitations that he has offensively, um, and obviously he, you know, he's uh, he definitely proven to get himself an upgrade in his contract. But yeah, just his offensive limitations, like the offense has been really poor when he's been out there. We know the defense has been equally as good, but maybe there's just a bit more of a balanced option uh, in between, where like especially if Lamelo's going to be injury prone. I don't know if like you want your primary backup guard to be someone who is like almost, I don't want to say zero on offense because he's actually more skilled than that. He's not a not skilled, but he's just too little bit too one dimensional on offense. Yeah. And I, this is a little bit what we talked about on the last podcast, but I just think that having somebody who's more stylistically similar to LaMelo uh, as your backup point guard would be pretty beneficial just for the general continuity of your offense and make it a little easier on the other guys, not having to, or, and on the coach as well, not having to employ or deploy different lineups specifically because, you know, Dennis's shooting or shooting gravity or lack thereof is very real. And it definitely causes problems unless you're the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, (laughs) Then in that case, he's going to cause problems with uh, his three point shooting, but outside of that, those, that specific moment, it hasn't been the most consistent aspect uh, of his game so i would lo- it, it, i would be completely fine if they decided to bring him back and the so roster I, I, changed I, I actually, in another way but it's just I, the how, completely how it goes, i think he's the third least likely to be back but it doesn't mean that i don't think either me or you are sitting here saying we don't want him but like he's been it's clear he's like a really good leader on the team like you see him in some of the real access you see him in interviews like he's got character which is great because 
Like there are a lot of NBA players these days who are so media trained. They don't really show personality and Dennis isn't like that at all. And he's been through so many NBA stops. You could understand if he's just become skeptical of everyone and everything, but he hasn't. And I think that's refreshing and he plays super hard, has some great highlights, is yeah, a phenomenal defender. And I think he would be a good player to have on the roster. And if they were to, again, change the resources around on the roster and have Dennis here and another ball handle of some sorts, then then I'd be absolutely great with like great with that. So, but it's I'm guessing then we both have Kelly Oubre number two. So we've got the same order here. Is this the case? It is. We've got the exact same order. I had Kelly Oubre second on mine as well. Why do you have Kelly Oubre two? What you know? How what puts him ahead of Dennis Smith for you? Well, I, honestly, I just think that for Kelly, the growth that he's shown as a shot creator is huge for his translation on a team that's like making a deep playoff run rather than a team that like the Hornets this year, that's just fighting tooth and nail just to be healthy through every single game. Uh, I mean, if he can do that a little bit as more of like a fourth or fifth option rather than first or second option, uh, the shooting consistency can level out a little bit. He's shown a ton of defensive improvement. Uh, Obviously the the hand injury from the beginning of the year, maybe that could have helped uh, or, what been what uh, tanked his shooting percentages prior to the surgery but I mean even now it's just been so hard to like envision what this Hornets team would have looked like without Kelly Oubre so I it's almost like he's earned the right to be here when this team is actually healthy Mm. and can compete with him on the roster because I think he's proved over the last couple seasons and even throughout his whole career that in the right situation he can be a part of like a high level you know, competitive team and as a rotation member. And just generally, you know, finding backup point guards and free agency, there's always options out there, like every single year. Finding, you know, six, seven wings who can shoot and defend and can play the two and three. Much harder. You need like four of those on your roster at minimum. There are just not many of those guys out there who are free agents who will end up in Charlotte. Um, so even if you like think Dennis Smith is a more valuable player, I, I can I can actually understand like people having that point of view. But the gap between like Dennis Smith and the next guy, I don't think is as big as maybe Kelly Oubre and the next guy. And then you also look at you know Gordon Hayward with his injury history, um, and you know having Kelly Oubre potentially back maybe on a longer term deal as well for after Gordon Hayward contract finishes next summer. That would give you some securities that you don't have a sudden gap at the three. Um, so we both have Kelly two, and then w- there's a question about PJ later on where we can maybe touch him first. But we both have PJ Washington number one. This, I mean, more than anything, this is probably just because he's a restricted free agent, right? So the Hornets can match anything, which means it's much harder for PJ just to go sign a deal and walk elsewhere, which is you know irrelevant of you know the recent strong play, which has been really promising, the recent career high. Um, even before that, he still would have been number one. This isn't a recency bias thing. This is more just a, a kind of like the functions of the NBA and what the Hornets can and can't do, which which puts PJ number one here. Yeah, me too. I pretty much solely had him here because he's a restricted free agent. Uh, you, the Hornets can negotiate with him themselves. I would be very surprised if uh, there's the, some sort of bidding war that develops uh, from other teams. Cap space around the league is fairly limited this year, especially among teams that are, you know, trying to compete and get better and build towards a playoff rotation for next season. The Hornets are really one of the only teams that have a relative amount of space that are doing that. Uh, And also 
every, at every turn, it seemed like they've wanted to bring him back. So for, for those reasons, pretty much entirely. And then on top of the good play, especially as of late, uh, I would imagine that he's going to be back next year. I agree. Okay, next question. Uh, also right. from Kevin Stone. You got it? Yeah. How many of the four draft picks, and actually, by the way, they've got five draft picks, just to point out, but um, how many of the five draft picks uh, do you think they'll actually use? So the picks the Hornets have, and this is one thing I want to recap, they have their own pick in the first round. That's the currently at fourth odds. They have Denver's pick at the end of the first round. They then have their own second round pick from the Jalen McDaniels trade. They have Utah's second round pick, which is currently around 38, 39 last time I checked. And then they have the, the worst of, and there's about four teams, but basically looking at the records at the minute, it's likely to be the Miami Heat's pick. Okay, them or Dallas, whoever finishes with the worst record, the Hornets will end up with one of those two picks. So that'll be two first round picks, three second round picks. So how many of those five picks in total do you think the Hornets would potentially use on draft night? So I think on guaranteed roster spot, uh, like long-term rookie or short-term rookie scale contract players, I think one. I would be very surprised if they use that Denver pick later in the first round. However, I do think two of those second round picks, or at least one, if not two, will be used on a two-way player. So I would Mm. say three of the picks will be used, but only one on a player that's on the... 15-man roster for next season. What about you? I'm along a very similar line of thinking. Um, I, I do wonder if there's a world where, like, they, they you know, and, and this, we're going to, I mean, can we just say right now, every time that someone says that they package the Denver pick and some of the second-round picks to move up in the first round, like, everyone just do a drink. Can we just say that now? Wish, wishful thinking, right. We, <laughs> everyone is going to suggest that in every single podcast, article, mock draft that is out there between like the end of the season and June. Um, it's very, very unlikely if, if they do do some type of deal, they'll probably move up like two or three spots. Um, but you know, if you start like adding a, a player to some of these deals, then maybe you could get like into a, a mid first round. So, I, but I agree with you. I think the most likely thing is that they, they try and move off that first round pick either for future draft equity for a veteran player. Um, and like you say, I think they'll use, cause with the two way slots, they've got Kobe Simmons on a two way and they've got Teo Maladon on a two way. I think Teo probably wouldn't want to do another year in Charlotte on a two way would be my guess. And I think he's probably, probably earned himself a contract in the NBA. Not, not definitely, but probably. Um, and I think Kobe Simmons like it's not a certain for me that he will be back on a two way next year. Maybe he has been on two way in the past, right? He was a few years ago. Um, but I think they'd probably wait and see who comes up in the draft, what picks they keep. So like you said, I think they can use two second round picks on two way guys, use their first round pick. And the, the roster crunch is a real issue. You mentioned it before. I mean, if you assume, okay, you have everyone under contract already. Let's assume for this thought exercise that Miles Bridges is back in Charlotte and they had a top four pick, which we pretty much know they're going to keep. And they add, they bring PJ Washington back. If you assume all those things, that's 13 players already, which means then there's two spots. So that's two spots for, you know, Kelly Oubre for Dennis Smith jr. For maybe a, another draft pick 
Like they need to bring in wing help, a backup point guard. Um, now, yes, they can make other moves, and that is very possible. But they are not flush here, like a rebuilding team in year one or two, where it's just like throw as many roster spots to young guys. And you, you see teams doing that, like Houston, and it doesn't work, right? So um, I, the roster crunch is a real issue. I don't expect them to go and add more rookies this year than they did last year necessarily, which I think they added two. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm completely on board. You want to roll on to the next one? Let's do it. All right. Do you expect any of the players currently under contract for next season to be moved this summer via trade? And that was from Jason Bourne. That was yes, it that was. was. Thank you, Jason. Um, so I do. Um, this is a this is a good question, Jason. It was kind of a good thought exercise, really. Like, you know, Mitch Kupchak said in his post-trade day deadline press conference that this team needs to be deeper, and maybe that's on me. And for him to say that. And then, like, this team that had injuries to do struggle as much as it did to then go, yep, let's re-sign everyone and let's keep this whole roster together. I just think it would surprise me. Chase. I I just think the guys who I think are most likely, probably, to be moved are Cody Martin, from his injury, depending how, you know, if, if that injury is looking bad, if it's going to go into next year, I could definitely see him being moved in a in a salary move. Hopefully that's not the case. I still think they do want to try and see Cody Martin back with this team, but it's a possibility. Um, and even though I don't think the team is by any means given up on Kai Jones and James Bucknight, and I don't think they should give up, if there was the right deal out there that existed, then... I do think Kai Jones and James Booknight could be moved in a wider deal to try and create roster spots, you know, if if the right deal came along. Those would be the two, the three guys who I think who are under contract. We're talking kind of more like fringe moves, round the edge moves. I think they're more likely just because they're easier to do than a big, I don't know, Gordon Hayward move or a Terrorizier move. Not that I'm ruling those out, but they are just harder to come by because they are a big, much bigger salary. But the time to move those guys is around the draft and is around free agency. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think all of those three guys are probably the most likely to be moved just due to the nature of how either their seasons have gone or their what their contract status is. Uh, I book night, I wouldn't even be surprised necessarily if his option is declined um, coming up this year after his two, his two year option. Uh, I I think Terry Rozier of the veteran players is unfortunately. Uh, the most likely to be moved just because if the Hornets are to make some sort of big trade that is for, you know, maybe an all-star level player or at least like a big name player, his salary matches up the best. Gordon Hayward would be on an expiring, so probably doesn't have quite as much long-term value as Terry's would, who's going to be under contract for three more years after that. Uh, That would be the only addition that I would have. But, you know, I I would think that it, it does feel really weird that, with how this season have got, has gone that so many players seem like maybe not certain to come back, but overwhelmingly likely. And there's really a short list of players that are under contract that I could see like being traded over the summer. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where we're just, we're too close. We're in the season right now. And I think like other people who don't follow the Hornets as closely will look at this thing and be like, the Hornets shouldn't be 
you know, the Hornets should be looking at clean slate here. They should be starting over. We've heard this. Now, I, I don't think that's the case. I think you know, some of those takes are lazy. But I do think there's an element of we have to be careful of our own unconscious bias here, right? That, guys, you know, we watch the team every single night. We follow the team closely. We're invested in, you know, seeing players from day one of Summer League and draft night. We, like, we, we tend to have hold on to hope for people longer than you should do. And that's, that's you know, that's that's we have to be aware of that and um yeah i i do think things will be up in the air especially if there's ownership change as well right like that's the big one if that comes through you know they could probably be maybe a little bit more proactive in in trying to like all of a sudden the ownership changes and leadership changes kai buck knight and james buck sorry, kai buck knight kai jones and james <laughs> buck knight you know they're not the guys who the new gm or the new owner selected anymore and they don't have those ties and we know, we know what can happen there, right? So, okay, let's move on. Uh, Eric Schaefer, next question. Why hasn't there been any news about Miles Bridges? So, Chase, I know you've got the answer to this 100%. You can tell everybody why we don't have an update about Miles Bridges. So just go just go break the news for everybody and the rest of the world. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, for, you know, as you know, I am the one person in the universe yes. well uh, that's plugged into this situation and no what is going on with like uh, what is presumably a highly confidential legal matter. No, I mean, I like the answer. Uh, the answer is, I don't know. Like the, there's an NBA investigation uh, when that is over or when that is ready to be released to the public. It's we bizarre. Will get an update. But until I, then we will not. Is pretty why, much go. why has this taken so long? I mean, John Morant got investigated and published within like three days and Miles Bridges, it's been, going on for months. I mean, Conspiracy James has a theory, right? I, I, I do want to say I have a theory that the NBA are dragging this investigation out on purpose because they know that both Miles Bridges and the team would be really happy for him to have this suspension served this season because this season isn't going anywhere. Miles hasn't been with the team. And even though the, the suspension would happen... Like, it doesn't really feel like punishment would have been served. And by drawing out the investigation to after the end of the regular season, when the suspension is served or given, it will impact Miles Bridges into next year. And it will impact the Hornets into next year. And I think that will land a lot heavier as like a better punishment. It'll be more well-received publicly for that then it kind of being like just rolled into this worthless season for the Hornets so that's what conspiracy James thinks what do you think I mean you're definitely not I wouldn't think that you're wrong at all I I could see that that being more of a were like a worthy punishment uh, in the eyes of the NBA uh, especially given that you know it wasn't necessarily something that happened like during the season anyway like and it was right before he was supposed to get or was definitely going to get like some massive contract extension uh I, th I feel like that they probably are looking and just given the nature of what uh the you know the situation was as well i think that's something that they would take very seriously and would be looking to you know make a point out of it and stuff like that so i, I mean I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you're you know on the right track there i do think if that it does happen like i do feel sorry for the Charlotte hornets i continue to because it is not their fault that it's happened. And for them to be punished into next year as well seems 
I don't know. It just kind of feels harsh to me. I have to be honest. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe there is. We don't. We don't know. Is the very quick answer to your question, um, Eric? We're sorry we can't give you more information. It seems like there has been breakthroughs where you know he's been in. I know he's been in Charlotte. That's really clear. Um, recently, you assume if he's been in Charlotte, it's because he's been talking with the team, meeting with the team. But I'm sure everybody wants to get a resolution to this. The team, Mars Bridges, uh, the NBA. You would have thought. Um, I don't know what the holdup is here. I kind of pop now. I almost it's so close to the end of the year. I don't expect to. I don't. I basically don't expect anything until after the end of the at least the regular season now um, for us to hear anything. So yeah, I think we're looking now to to mid to late April before I'd expect the next update. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. Miles Bridges. All right, another one from Eric. Will LaMelo Ball wear ankle braces when he comes back? Uh, I can go first because I have a similar answer to what I said for the first one. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I, th- I think he said uh, that he will consider it uh, when, in an article that Rod Boone wrote when he spoke to LaMelo. Uh, but I, I, I don't really know. The, I, the shoes that he wears are like fairly high top anyway. Uh, it's not like he wears like these low top sneakers that have no ankle support. Uh, it's just going to depend on, you know, comfort i suppose and how he how the ankle feels when he comes back from the injury well i wrote down here that he better um but (laughs) (laughs) i look look the when it comes to ankle braces uh fans want all their players with ankle shoes to wear ankle braces because it's something that they can see that is visual which is like yes this player is taking precautions not to have the same injury in the future. It's like a really simple thing right in front of them. I will say, like, you speak to any physiotherapist, ankle braces make very little difference. The the area that a player can make progress on when recovering from injury is strengthening the ankle. And that's the ligaments, the muscles around the ankle, strengthening that through rehab. So that's through calf raises, one-footed squats. I say this as someone who's broken my right ankle twice and sprained it really badly multiple times. And I've had to go through these rehab things myself, not an elite sportsman, but I've had to go through similar processes. And those are the key things that help you not sprain your ankle. Ankle braces can like, there is mixed thoughts on if, if they help, but like, yeah, if, if I was Lamella ball, I like, I brought some heavy ankle braces after I had my ankle injuries. And for at least a year or two, I wore them. Because more than anything, it was like a mental thing for me that I felt more confident on my ankle, having the ankle braces on. And if I did tweak it in my head, I would go, oh, well, I'm glad I'm wearing these ankle braces because it's just a little tweak. It's not a full sprain and I'm not going to be out multiple weeks. So, um, you know, I'm sure the team will look at it. Um, but it's, the, it's, the, it's how he attached the rehab. That's more important than any brace that he can wear. That's what I will say. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and the existing customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit you'll get your bonus bet back. So one bet I'm looking out for is the Hornets against the Suns. Kevin Durant's first game back. 
Everyone's going to juice the Suns. Everyone's going to juice Kevin Durant overs. I'm going for Kevin Durant unders. I also think the Hornets might cover that game. Be the first time with Phoenix playing with a lot of their new team. Uh, first time with Kevin Durant. He'll probably be on a minutes limit. He'll be a bit rusty. So I'm pairing Kevin Durant with Hornets unders for my same game parlay. So, to bet, download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Okay, moving on. Alex Hanna. And this is the, the PJ Washington question I was, I was touching on earlier. Um, is PJ worth the big contract coming up, even though he's very inconsistent? And I have to say, shout out to Alex. This is this was what I think is maybe like one of the best questions we've got in this mailbag because, you know, the inconsistency of PJ Washington is is a very like well observed point, Alex. And you know, we've seen these runs before from PJ where he looks great, you know, for two or three weeks and then it, it disappears again. Um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely letting you. <laughs> Uh, answer this one first and I've actually not decided on an answer yet Chase so I'm I'm, a, I'm open to here to be talked into something oh I mean I'm like at like a firm yes at this point uh, I, I I think this my my point has been the, the same I think maybe last summer was when we first started talking about this players that are six foot seven at like strong like 225 230 pounds or whatever he is uh can shoot at least a league average, if not better, from three at a consistent rate. He's a career 36.5% shooter on high volume. This year, obviously, he has been the most consistently available. He's played the most games this season on the Hornets, which I think has definitely contributed to his inconsistency, especially when he's at the top of the scouting report for a lot of those games due to the injury troubles that they've had. But he rebounds well. He's a good passer. Uh, he averages a block and a steal per game, and he can protect the rim as well as space the floor. Players like that in the NBA get paid, and they get paid very well, and rightfully so because those types of players can fit into pretty much any system in the league. They can play in the playoffs, and you won't have to worry about you know them being put in certain situations where they're giving up a lot more points than they're producing on offense. He doesn't really have any like glaring weaknesses outside of like going through the occasional shooting slump, which obviously that is a problem. You would rather players be have their highs and lows be much more towards the middle than, you know, having huge peaks and valleys. But he's only scored in single digits in 14 of the 72 games that they've played this year. That's obviously like more than you would like. Uh, but if next year, if PJ is like the fourth, fifth, sixth best player on the team, that's not really a problem at all. And he, he averages 15.8 points per game this year, uh, which is obviously a career high by over three points. I think he's like more than earned uh, a long-term contract from the Hornets right now. It's not like he's going to get paid like $25 million a year or something like that. It would be maybe 15 to 20 or something like that. And I would be 100% comfortable with that, given that the cap is going to go up, especially over the next couple of years. Well, and the difficulty with Alex's question here is, is worth the big contract coming up? Right, what's big, right? You know, what what I think is big and what you think is big is maybe two different things. Like for me, big is above 20 million, probably is what I would like to find as big. Um, I, I don't know what Alex thinks with that, right? I, I mean, the interesting thing is here, do we think that PJ has 
remember there, there was talk of extension talks at the beginning of the season. They were pretty far apart. PJ Washington was looking for over 20 million per year, I believe it was reported. The Hornets weren't weren't kind of anywhere like near that. It was I think reported at the time. Do you think PJ now keep in mind like he started most of the season where he wasn't always starting last year, so he's had a bigger role. Um, which like if you look at the counting stats, you'll say, yeah, absolutely. Like PJ Washington, he's look at he's having a career year. Well, if you actually look at the per 36 numbers, it he is in some aspects and elements, but he's not like having an overwhelming career year per 36. It's just that he's getting more playing time. So the, the box score and the counting stats look a lot better. Do you think PJ has earned himself more money since the start of this season? Or do you think it's kind of like a similar position to where it was before, where it's like, yeah, he can be like an okay starter uh, or he can be like a really good bench player. Yeah, I think it's probably stayed about the same, especially from like the market perspective and like how another team would look at it. I don't think that any team is viewing what PJ Washington has done this year and being like, yes, this is like what we want him to do. This is the role we envision him playing for our team because you don't anticipate your team being, you know, missing their best player, best players for so many games. And then PJ Washington being thrust into a top option role where he has to you know, have a much higher usage rate and take more shots than he normally would and more contested shots at that as well. Uh, so I, w- I would say it's probably stayed about the same. And he- he's handled it well. His efficiency has gone down, obviously, uh, but it's not like, you know, anything groundbreaking that you would think that it's, you know, a-, a result of him not being able to handle something more so than there just being an uptick in volume. And naturally, the efficiency goes down a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous, right? I don't want to be a, be a prisoner of the moment, but I do think this stretch over the last month and this recent play, like he he has been more consistent for the last like four to six weeks now. I'd say it's probably like his best stretch of his pro career, uh, like since February. Um, and I, I think for me, like this has probably just clinched it where I thought it was still a lot of like very inconsistent. Whereas this last six weeks is he's really does seem to have turned a bit of a corner, but then like, again, is that just being a prisoner of like recency bias here, meaning more than like the previous three months of the season before that? I, d- I don't know. And it, it all kind of depends into here what's going to be happening in, in other positions. But I think anything above 20 million per year, I'm beginning to get worried that you're paying like a premium for what could be like a, a borderline starter for a play. If we're talking playoff teams, the top six team in the in you know the conference, what we're talking about now, or top eight, like I, I think PJ is borderline to start for that and a rotation player. And for twenty, like for fifteen per year, I think you can have like a really good spot starter rotation player for fifteen. When you start getting to that twenty mark, I, I begin to just want a little bit, a little bit more from you. But um, I don't know. Like I, I just think until I see the net moves around the PJ Washington move. And I see the contract itself and how team or player friendly it is. I don't know if I'm going to like the deal until I know all the details. I think that's just going to, how I'm going to be. Uh, but I'm, but I'm, I'm open to it both ways. All right. Next question is from Jack Sampson uh, with miles bridges coming back next year. What would the starter situation look like if the Hornets got lucky and were able to draft Victor Weminyama? this June, which starter would be immediately coming off the bench? James, you can go first. Chase, people might shout at me here, but if the Hornets draft Victor Wembenyama, 
Are we sure he starts game one? <laughs> like, uh, are you like? I mean, if, if I you were to like... bet that, like, your girlfriend's life, would you bet your girlfriend's life on it? Oh no, I definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I, I mean, I see where you're coming from. But I, it is Steve Clifford. Be, like... I would be shocked if he. I mean, Steve Clifford's gonna see how good he is and just be like, yeah, I, I need as much of that as humanly possible on the court. And I need it on the court. The second that the ref throws the ball up in the air for the opening tip, I, I would be very shocked if they end up with him uh, and he doesn't start. There's like, I would say it's like, I'm like 95% sure that he would start if they draft him. But I think do you have a, th a veteran that would come off the bench. Do you think? Well, look, I, I do think it's more like than not, especially. Yeah, I, I do. Um, there's not many number one picks. Who's the last number one pick not to start the first NBA game? I I can't even think of one off the top Ooh, of my head. That, that would be a, a very good trivia question. That would be a good I'll trivia question. I'll look it time. up while, while you Yeah, you can, you can have a look at that. Um, I, there is part of me, like, I will say, like, if Victor Wembanyama doesn't know the defensive scheme and isn't able, like, to communicate it and be part of the scheme, like, as much as, I don't know, PJ Washington on day one, um, I do. I didn't think Steve Clifford would just like say, "Oh, well, we have to play him because he was the first overall pick." In fact, there's any coach in the league who wouldn't do that. I think it's Steve Clifford. Um, but saying that, I I think there would be a lot of pressure from the front office to start the guy. Um, and like, even if he didn't know the scheme, sometimes you can just make up with stuff with natural talent and ability, right? So um, yeah, who would be who would which starter would be coming off the bench? I think it, it's hard, right? I think it would probably be PJ. I, there could be a world where PJ and Miles come off the bench, which is bonkers. But, like, again, like, you would have, I think, Gordon Hayward. If you started Victor Wembanyama at the four, which is how I think I'd pencil it in, Mark Williams at the five, you definitely want Gordon Hayward at the three just because, like, the skill and the playmaking and the shooting, probably more so than, like, Miles, who's coming off a year of not playing basketball, who who knows what shapes he in. I think he'd have to earn his way back into the rotation. He'd probably have a suspension to serve. Um, I mean, that would be a great forward rotation for a bench unit. Miles Bridges and PJ Washington, that team would be deep. Um, but yeah, that's where I probably, I, yeah, like I said earlier, I think Victor would start as a four. And in that case, it would probably be PJ, which again, like this comes down to for agency, if you draft Victor, do you resign PJ Washington to twenty million over multiple years? If you know Victor's going to be your starting power forward going forward, uh, there's some really tough questions. Like some, you know, where GMs and scouts are going to have to put their basketball knowledge and gut on the line this offseason for Charlotte. There's going to be some tough decisions, and if you get them wrong, you could be paying for them for a long time. Yeah, I honestly hadn't considered the point you made about if Miles were to come back not starting right away, given the fact that he missed an entire season. I definitely think you're right, though, about that. So I, I would say right away, I, I think it would be PJ. But long term, I think the starting lineup would probably be LaMelo, Terry Rozier, Miles at the three, Victor Wamanyama at the four, and Mark Williams at the five. I think that's – if that if the Hornets were to, you know, have everything break right for them, I think that's what we'd be looking at for a starting lineup going into the future. And then you'd have Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre – Dennis Smith Jr. or Teo Maladon and then Nick Richards and PJ as your bench rotation, which, like you said, is 
an extremely deep team coming off of a year where the team obviously had no depth at all and couldn't really weather injuries. And that's before you even get to the young players that have shown promise, like Bryce McGowan's would be buried in the rotation. JT Thor would be buried in the rotation. Kai Jones would be buried. If, you know, Teo Maladon and Dana Smith Jr. both come back, one of them is not going to play. Uh, you, you, it's uh, like we said earlier, it'd be a very good problem to have, but I think long-term that's what the Hornets would be looking for in that situation. I think fans need to brace themselves that next year that the young guys, like the ones you just listed there, McGowan, Thor, Kai, uh, they, they could all be in the rotation right away. Um, they could the all be healthy. a lot better and look great in summer league and clearly have set their game up and could be nowhere near the Hornets rotation. And people are going to be screaming whenever anyone has a bad game. What, you know, why have we seen McGowan's? Why have we seen JT Thor? Um, but people need to brace themselves for that now because, um, like, yeah, they, they'll have the opportunity to earn the spot, no doubt, but it's something to something to be aware of. Okay, last question. Uh, last question we got was from, I believe it was Nick, uh, who was a UK Hornets fan. I think it was Nick, uh, which is asking about Kobe Simmons or Teo Maladon for the backup point guard spot next season. I guess this is assuming, like, maybe Dennis Smith goes elsewhere or or something like that um i i think i know what your answer is going to be uh but i will let you go first where, where are you leaning here with Teo or kobe oh f- fully towards uh Teo maladon uh, i've been a pretty big fan of Teo since he first came to charlotte i really like his game i think like what i mentioned earlier his play style is much more similar to lamello's i think he's a pretty good pick and roll ball handler, a guy that can create his own shot a little bit is a good playmaker. That's going to look to make plays for his teammates in the second unit. Now, not to say that Dennis uh, doesn't do that or that Kobe Simmons would neither, but I, I really like his fit um, coming off the bench for the Hornets, but Kobe Simmons has had a very good year. He's shooting 38% from three, uh, which kind of has been maybe the one reason he hasn't stuck in the NBA as like a rotation player or been on two ways the whole time is because he ha- isn't quite, the shooter that you would want from the lead guard spot. Uh, he's a pretty good passer as well. He's very athletic, uh, pretty good scorer at the G League level. Uh, I he, I would be certainly open to having him back uh, on the two-way again, which we, he would be eligible for uh, because he doesn't have the full four years of NBA service uh, that would then disqualify you uh, for a two-way. He only has uh, two years of service right now. And then if he appears in a game with the Hornets down the stretch, that'll be three. So, Next year, he would be eligible for uh, one last uh, two-way deal. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I do lean with you. I lean Teo. And that's that's mainly because, like, Kobe Simmons, like, plays more off-ball in the G League. Like, Jalen Crutch is the primary point. Um, and, he, like, Kobe can run point guard, but I think, like, he's more more effective kind of being, like, a slasher scorer from the two-guard spot, getting out in transition. And I, I just think for that backup ball handler spot you you want someone and you've heard Clifford talk about this a lot of times like guys you can really get you organized get you into your sets take care of the ball and I think Kobe like Taylor is a little bit more under control probably better defensively like he's had some really good defensive games for Charlotte like he's got you know Kobe's got good really good size as well but Taylor's you know rebounded the ball really well in Charlotte he's he's kind of even given like some rim protection as a guard so I would go Taylor too but I do think Kobe Simmons is like a an NBA level player somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in Charlotte, like long term again, just because the roster spots. But it really wouldn't shock me to like see Kobe Simmons getting a chance somewhere. Like all time 
scorer for Greens for Swarm. Shout out to Kobe Simmons setting that record, I think, just before the end of the regular season. And like he's consistently been like one of their best scorers basically now for the last two or three years. He's been within the Charlotte kind of organization now for a good while. Um, so I, I do think Kobe like has a chance, and I do want to see him get an opportunity, him and X need um down down kind of the end of the stretch here. Yeah, I'm really hoping that both of them can get at least one, if not a couple games of real rotation minutes here. They've both earned it. I really love the Hornets organization, like rewarding the players that have been producing for their G League team in Greensboro, you know, giving those fans that go out to those games something to root for and, you know, a really talented squad with a lot of good players that they can now, you know, make the drive to Charlotte and watch them play or, you know, tune into the NBA game and watch them play there. It's it's, it's definitely a good thing to to see for – them to get two guys from the from the swarm with the team for the last you know week and a half or so here. Absolutely. Right. Those are all the questions. Um, thank you guys for uh, for sending them in. Uh, we love engaging with you and answering your questions. And and if you if we didn't answer any of your questions this time, just make sure you send us one for next time and we'll we'll jam it in the show. And yeah, that was a lot of fun kind of looking at a, a variety of things really across the team. Um, any any questions you've got? Before we want to get out of here, Chase, anything anything else you want to touch on? I don't think so. Let's uh let's let the listeners on their merry way here. Absolutely. And we're we're both gonna duck off and watch the the Hornets Bulls game here and uh which should, again should be another fun show. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed the QA mailbag. Um we will have a Jordan Serenka interview uh on the Swarm Report podcast, which is gonna be coming probably middle of next week because uh, I'm going on vacation and we've already recorded that today with Jordan. George, spoke to Jordan Serenkamp for 45 minutes. Um, so he's touched on a l- bunch of things with Kai Jones, James Bucknight, um, you know, Bryce McGowan's, Mark Williams, the guys who got called up recently. So touched on a bunch of fun stuff. So listen out for that podcast. Um, and yeah, Chase, I will catch you when I'm back from vacation enjoy the end of the hornets regular season here it's weird that we're enjoying it so much but uh but it's been a fun time and listeners we will hopefully be back soon thanks everybody see you later